I was just watching the highlight playback on on YouTube and like David Coulthard is like, you can see the sweat pouring out from his helmet. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that was like that David, was like three ounces right. of of sweat, you know. Uh yeah. 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 As a sweaty person, I was like, ooh, yeah, there's no way that that was all sweat. Um yeah, it was it was pretty nuts. Uh I, I loved I loved the Grand Prix. Um I don't know. I don't know if I should say that I loved it. I it was pretty good. It was pretty I damn get, good. I, I definitely got like a super solid nap in in the middle of it, uh, because I was all sorts yeah. of uh uh post uh post shindigged out uh and just having a very relaxing time being completely horizontal on the couch uh taking it all in yeah yeah that makes that makes sense so yeah let's let's just do it we got we got we got so much to cover here johnny Welcome to the F1 Files, folks. This is our Formula One podcast. We are a couple of big old fans of the sport and have loved it forever. And now we continue to love on it, whether it wants us to love it or not. I'm one of the hosts. My name is Corey Willis. I'm a writer, actor, improviser out here in Los Angeles, California. And this is John Lepore. I'm a creative consultant designing the future for film, technology, and automotive, holding it down on the East Coast. All right. We had uh we had a bustling weekend. Yeah. Uh some interesting developments. We had a championship one. We had on a, a Saturday. first on a Saturday. Championship yeah. one on a Saturday. We had mm-hmm. a first time winner yep. also on a Saturday. This is the we truth. Had, we had uh a uh something that's been sort of boiling or simmering for a little while completely boil over on the yes. first corner of yes. the race on Sunday. Yes. Yeah. And we had uh we had a super punishing race on Sunday. Mm-hmm. We also had a whole new record set for the sport that I suspect could be a record that stands for maybe more than a season, maybe many seasons to come. Ideally, uh, Ideally. so yes, a, a, yeah. a lot to uh, a lot to get into here today. Yeah. Where where do you want to start, Corey? Um, well, let's just start off with the the fact that it was a sprint weekend. So already, this is like mm-hmm. a super punishing format, and by that I mean it is punishing for the teams and the drivers because it is relentless the 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 pace of the weekend does not slow down whatsoever uh and that kind of set the tone for what turned into uh, a wildly um exhaustive weekend for everyone involved um so let's let's start there let's start off on uh on Let's start off with the shootout. Let's start off with, uh, first of all, the free practice session, which was like barely a free practice session because it was a free practice that happened during the day when both of the races happened at night. So there was really no real way for any team to like learn anything about the track. It was a, a resurfaced track itself. 
that we had not raced at last year. So we had a race there in 2021, mm-hmm. race in 2022, and then now it's a resurfaced track. It's a track that's in the desert. So it is uh, a unique track because it's in the desert, but also there's like a ton of humidity in Qatar. This is like a huge problem, like with the World Cup pushed the world cup back to december because people were like dying building the facilities out there during the summer mm-hmm. um so even being october in the desert it was still uh i believe the race started at 32 degrees celsius which translates to 89.6 degrees fahrenheit that was the air temperature at the start of the grand prix at nighttime so Again, just to like kind of like put this in like a a, a neat little frame of punishment. Uh, it was so hard for the teams to learn anything. And then also the conditions under which they were learning were like unbelievably brutal. So, yeah. Um, what anything did, did you check out the yeah, that's yeah, it's like that sets the stage for like what we're going to talk about for most of this podcast, which is just. My God, uh, these I've never felt worse and more like sympathetic uh, and as a big sweaty guy, more empathetic to these drivers. <laughs> uh, yes, Cruz. you are a you, you are an official handkerchief carrying uh, mm-hmm. sweaty guy. Oh, so yeah. uh, I, I also I I will take the cold over the heat any day of the week. Like I just I'm not yeah. a fan of the heat. Don't like yeah. the desert. Don't even particularly enjoy the beach all that mm-hmm. much. And mm-hmm. so seeing seeing this, um, you know, these people they're they're strapped into these cars. Yeah. They're wearing uh, like cinched into these cars, not like lightly, but like yeah, yeah, no, no, no. You you get like yeah. ratchet strapped into yeah. these cars. You're underneath the ratchet straps already. You've got fireproof like long underwear that mm-hmm. you're wearing right nomex yeah. uh you know bodysuit basically then mm-hmm. you've got your 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 driver's suit on top of that also nomex yeah. and whatnot yep. um uh, a head sock and a helmet mm-hmm. like that's and that's gloves. a lot like you can't even and like gloves. you don't yeah yeah, yeah. Like, gloves that like go like that complete the seal. So it's not like the gloves yes. have like a yeah, little yeah. like break at the wrists or anything. It's like, no, no, you're completely sealed into that. Uh, so starting out at 90 degrees, basically wearing like two and a half snowsuits and a helmet that completely like doesn't allow your like any cool air. <laughs> and your, oh. your, your backpack that you're mm-hmm. wearing is any a v6 engine that's spinning close to 20,000 rpms for the duration of mm-hmm. a race uh mm-hmm. full of you know ex, ex, liquid explosives uh making tons of you know thousands of controlled explosions uh yeah. as you're as you're going along and yeah so I, I also the the only bit of like fluid in the car that is not in your body that is not hyper explosive is a water 
ballast, like a little thing of water. Um, and it's not even the water, it's drink is what they call it because it's like electrolyte-infused like slurry. Yeah. And then that gets like boiling hot. So the only relief that you get is yes. like – yeah. Ugh. So I heard like the, you know, you get your, you have your little water bottle. It's like a half liter of water. Yeah. It's not very yeah. much water that you have for your entire time that you're in the car. It's mm-hmm. put into the car as a block of ice. In a situation like this, they say that by the time you've finished the formation lap, it's already like about as warm as, you know, a cup of coffee or whatnot. Yeah. So it's... It's not really going to do much else to uh, to to help uh, you. Um, I saw God, it sounded like they were saying in the cockpit temperatures mm-hmm. were between 120 and 130 degrees. Yeah, which is yep. insane. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've got a track temperature of like 50 degrees Celsius, which translates to I don't know around 110 degrees. Fahrenheit, um, 108 degrees point something. Uh, yeah. So like there's no, like it was mentioned a couple of times, the heat soak, uh, factor of just like, if you're staying still on that surface in those conditions, surrounded by your backpack car, uh, it is like mm-hmm. exponentially worse because there's just no escape. Plus, there was, like, no wind, no breeze or anything during the Grand Prix either. So it was, like, brutal everywhere. Um, yeah, night, nightmare scenario. Who was the driver who used to put tea bags? Was it, like, Jim Clark who used to? Probably. Or, yeah, like, it was, like, some <laughs> British racing driver. Uh, mm-hmm. Or maybe it was Nigel or something like that where they were, like, oh, no, we I would just request that they put, like, a tea bag into the drinks uh, container so I could just have like warm tea everywhere because that's basically what I was drinking anyways like warm flavorless tea which is just like oh sounds like the worst bit of relief so miserable temperatures uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know throughout the weekend but particularly during the length of the race it's yeah. 125 minutes in its entirety and like almost like thank goodness that there wasn't like tons of safety car action or whatnot during the race to extend it even even longer it just sounded like it was brutal and and like pretty much about halfway through the race it Mm -hmm. started becoming apparent that this was a serious issue and like and and these guys still had a whole other half of the race to make it through so uh, yeah. The first, you know, the first one that really got my attention was Alonzo hopping on yeah. the radio, yeah, and basically saying like the the seat is too hot, like the seat mm-hmm. itself is like uncomfortably hot to be sitting in. I'm imagining it's like simmering, uh, you know, his his yeah. uh, his his backside as he's cruising along, and he's going in for a pit stop. And he's like, can you guys please just like, you know, dump a bucket of water on me mm-hmm. or like, you know, pour something down my back when I come mm-hmm. into the pit. And they're just like, eh, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think I, I felt I felt bad for yeah. him. I thought there was still going to be something I was expecting that they would like. I could imagine that scenario, him being like, I don't care if it takes an extra like full second of pit stop time. Just like, yep, get 
get something going on there. And and they were just like, nah, you'll be nah. you'll be fine. Well, this is Formula was, One racing we're doing here. I was thinking about this, John, and uh, just like looking at, I've watched so much footage. Uh, of old races and so many like pit stops uh, with like hand cranked cameras. And that's literally what they used to do is like the mechanic before he went to do any work on the car would be like running to the cockpit. And like, as he's running at it, literally launching a like a five gallon bucket of water at the driver. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like, it was like fully on purpose Um, but I was thinking about this. It worked back then because there were like no sensors in the cockpit. If they dumped even like a liter of water into that cockpit, that like there are sensors all over the pedals. There are sensors like every, I know, but like, I mean, these guys go in like monsoons and stuff, you know, they're out there in crazy rainstorms doing this. And I, but that water gets like yeah, the, aerodynamics the control yes. that water pretty intensely. Yeah. So there's like no pools other than like their own urine or vomit that like there's no pools of liquid in the car. So I think maybe that might have played a, a like might have been a factor why they weren't doing that to drivers at these pit stops. Um, so with, uh, yeah. all right. So so by by that metric then. Um, Esteban Ocon apparently damaging some yep. sensors uh, yep. because apparently as early as lap 15 and 16, I think he said he threw up during yep. both of those laps. Both laps uh, threw up in his helmet. Though Again, that's insane. Wearing, a, wearing uh, a note, you're wearing a sock. You're wearing a sock around your yeah. head. So it's not like he's like throwing up into his helmet. He's like vomiting into... Oh fabric that is designed oh. to not be breathable like it's so it, the layers of this Ugh. are just so much like oh so bad um yeah hey. Log- logan Sargent. uh i felt so bad for him uh because apparently he had like a virus earlier in the week so that was why he yeah he was, was like he was already under the weather yeah, he's over yeah. the radio to the team talking about like, you know, like, uh, you know, it, it sounded like it, they were worried that he was going to lose consciousness. Yeah. At uh, some well, point. Uh huh. Um, and yeah. we've yeah, we've heard about similar stuff from other drivers. Yep. He yep. at one point was over the radio and was like. It sounded like he was trying really hard just to stick it out and was like, no, no, no. Like I told you, I'm going to, you know, yeah. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to make it, you know, because he's also like this guy is uh, he's he's hanging on by a by a thread, by a thread. If, like, if even at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, oh, the God. shipping the shipping container is dangling over him, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yep. very yep. precariously. Danny Glover and, is like uh, licking his lips about to say the line. Uh yeah, it's uh yep. it's it's coming for yep. for Logan Sargent. I was listening to uh I think it was Crofty uh or Ted Kravitz and they were like talking about oh it's like so stressful. This is like such a difficult thing and these drivers aren't used to it. I just want to say I do have a lot of sympathy for someone who is sick and suffering in the heat as someone who does not do well in the heat and has experienced Mm -hmm. being sick in the heat. It sucks. It's really, really bad. However, 
Logan Sargent is from Florida. He's from South Florida. So like mm-hmm. the idea that he is yep. incapable of dealing with extreme heat and humidity just doesn't like I I as soon as they said that I like shouted at the TV being like he's from Florida. <laughs> uh, so that yep. was uh But he was sick earlier in the week. So that's like a reason why he was suffering so much. But I don't know, bud. What a what a bad what an inopportune time to like be like the center of attention. Um, He sounded like a kid. I don't you have kids, John. He sounded like a kid who was like trying to like hype himself up to do something even though he really didn't want yeah. to do it um it just fe- yeah it had that like i want i felt so bad for him because his engineer uh kept like coming back on the line and being like it's up to you do you want to retire the car and i think that what you're like you're yeah. saying john i think he was just like talking himself up and trying to like big himself up to the team so the team could be like wow yeah, he's yeah. really going through it and kind of hoping the team would be like, all right, yeah, Logan, keep it up, you know, do do the best you can. But that was not the tone of the race engineer. It was quite literally just like, hey, please don't scratch our car. Please do. You, can you just bring the car in? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we know we know you're not feeling great, but like, ooh, please don't damage the car again. You already did it this. Mm-hmm. You already did it. Uh, <laughs> you're, you already did it once this weekend and we got away with it. Please don't do anything bad. I felt bad. Yeah. But that's what what can you do? What can you do? It's uh, you know, hey, it's uh it's tough out there for for Logan. Um yeah. Yeah. All right. Who who was it that was saying that they thought they had lost consciousness? Was it Lance Stroll? Oh, this was Lance Stroll, uh, and there are onboards of him uh, going down the pit straight. And I like made a note during the Grand Prix. It was like the last lap, uh, and I was like, "Oh wow, Lance Stroll is going to score a point! Like he's actually going to score a point!" Oh wait, great, 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 good for him. And then on the last lap, he got passed. Not even the last lap, I think, but like the straightaway, like the start finish straight. He ended up getting passed on uh, by Zhou Guan Yu. So, like a backmarker oh. ended up. Pa- yeah, it wasn't yeah. even like a nu- yeah, like yeah, it wasn't yeah. like Sergio passed him or whatever. Um, which we got to talk about Sergio too. We got to continue to talk about Sergio. Oh. Um, but yeah, I like wrote like Joe got stroll on the last lap. Ha 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 ha. And then like <laughs> listened to it and was like. Oh, homeboy was quite literally unconscious. And you can see in the onboards, like his head just like bopping around in the cockpit on a straightaway. And it's like, oh, I think he was losing consciousness and like snapping back into like, that's what it looks like. It looks like the like the like, oh, dad's watching TV and like he can't keep his eyes open, but he keeps like startling himself back awake. Uh, That's what it looked like. It also looked like that a little bit in Charles Leclerc's cockpit, which is yeah, bananas, bananas. 
Like we've never seen drivers like opening their visors up. We've never seen, mm. you know, people like trying to put their hands up and like destroying the aerodynamic properties of the car just to get yep. more air to like flow onto them and, yeah. uh, and whatnot. Um, oh, what pretty, a- pretty wild. Um, the, I, I mean, I think this should, you know, quell any question as to whether or not there's like true athleticism involved Mm -hmm. in this sport uh this is pretty wild but i think it's also um where we will see in the future specific steps taken to avoid this sort of thing now to me the most obvious thing would just be like you can handle this stuff with like a uh you can actually there's systems that are used in all sorts of other racing and whatnot where like you'll have um, mm-hmm. uh, a cool suit, like it built into your fireproof underwear is basically uh, circulated water tubing, and you can yeah. keep, you know, uh, a a ice box of water, you know, pumping through your suit. Now, obviously, that has like you know a weight penalty attached mm-hmm. to it and things like that, but you know, there's things but like if- that that could be. But also, if every driver is like mandated to wear a cool suit, even if it's not yeah. being used, then that like creates parity, right? Like, so there's no, yep, no one would have an advantage um, because like they don't have that extra like quarter liter of fluid being passed through their system. Um, yeah, but well, also Alex Brundle was like talking about this as a world endurance championship driver that mm-hmm. uh I can't remember. I think it was the Circuit of the Americas, the the WEC series that happened there. Uh 10 drivers had to be taken away in ambulances. So not just like Jeez. actual like oh, I got to go to the medical facility after the race to like get an IV for hydration, mm-hmm. but like quite literally had to go to a separate medical facility in order to recover from being dehydrated and fatigued. So that's 10 drivers out of, I don't know how many uh, teams or how many driver, how many people are on each team at the Coda race. I think it's probably three drivers. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing it's probably like a four hour race. And that's done in September, I think uh, in Austin. So it's like, it's still pretty hot in Austin in September. Um, but, and they should, because you have three drivers, people switching out, like it shouldn't be that bad, but that was something Alex Brundle brought up where he was like, well, at least now that it's happening in formula one, like it now will have the attention of the FIA, uh, completely because F1 is the FIA's like golden child uh and if every other race series is suffering from fatigue and exhaustion and um quite literally like heat stroke uh then maybe uh, the fia will go like oh this should be a consideration in like the way we schedule races and build in regulations Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's silver lining i guess next Next year, Qatar will be two months later uh, in December, yes. maybe yep. second. Is it the second to last race right before I Abu think Dhabi, so. I believe? Yeah, they're trying. Uh, that that goes make, with the geographic thing, too. Yeah. Um, that would make, uh, make a ton of sense. Um, no. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, we don't see this kind of misery uh, again. But mm-hmm. I am also starting to enjoy the 
memes around people, you know, vomiting in their sports cars, uh, in their Formula One cars as they make their way around the track. Absolutely insane. Uh, So that was, I want to say Stroll started passing out uh, with 20 laps to go. Like he was like, my, I was fading Mm. like in and out with 20 laps to go. That's like just over half distance of the race itself because it's like 57 laps i think it was i I don't remember the exact lap count but like it was almost halfway through the race and people started being like "Uh oh (laughs) i don't know if i'm able to keep my eyes open um yeah like the only other person we've talked about it before the only other person who's passed out while driving an F1 car was Felipe Massa and it resulted in uh, a horrific crash um, because he lost consciousness Mm -hmm. and like, yeah, the walls aren't that close at uh, LaSalle um, at, at that circuit because it's a MotoGP circuit. So they don't have a lot of stuff close to the track just in case a bike goes down. People need like area to like recover before slamming into a tire wall. But still, if you're doing 160 miles an hour and you pass out and you're not putting any effort into slowing the car down, a gravel trap's not going to stop you from running into a wall. Like, it's just horrifying. Um, And the contract at the LaSalle circuit is through 2032. So, like, there's we're racing there for the next 10 years, period. Uh, uh, so it's, something's gotta be done. Um, as someone who went to Abu Dhabi in November, it was still unbelievably hot there. I mean, yeah, sure. It cools Mm -hmm. down a little bit, but I never wanted a long sleeve anything at any point in time while I was there. So like, yeah, I don't know how much cooler it's going to be, but it will be a little bit cooler. Um, but still, whew, not a good look. Um, oh, we we skipped over uh, the the sprint race. Um, was there anything? Yeah, so there's crazy crazy that, stuff yeah, happening yeah. all weekend. Sprint sprint race. Mm-hmm. Let's let's get into that. Uh, maybe even yeah. before the sprint race, we had this whole yeah. other situation around track track limits mm-hmm. coming up again. Yeah. Uh, can you give a little context around like the resurfacing or the adjustments that were made to the track that were making yeah. these track limits so challenging for the drivers? So the uh, the thing that happened last time at uh, at Qatar uh, was they were dealing with um, wait one they they were it was the old regulations. So the cars were not the same. The the tires were not the same. Literally, like, the tire and wheel construction is different now. So that played a factor in the tires being heavier and larger. More load goes through them. Uh, so what was happening is the curbs that they have at, uh, at Qatar are these things called pyramid curbs. So instead of having, like, this, like, kind of drastic right angle that drops off like you can kind of go up on the curb and then it drops Mm. off uh instead it's more of like uh an aggressive pyramid shape so like they're more like serrated than other curbs so Mm -hmm. what was happening was it was 
putting extra load through those tires when they were going over those curbs. Uh, and they were creating situations where tiny little micro cuts were happening between the sidewall and the tread of the tire. So that's why we had all those, the mandatory uh, pit stops of like no tire could be on the car for more than 18 laps because they didn't want to have catastrophic failures. Kind of like we saw, um, I think it was Verstappen and Stroll had crashes at the Baku circuit uh, that were like horrific and it was because tires blew out. So, yeah, we've never seen anything like that before at a race where we've got yeah. a mandated, you know, you mm -hmm. must, you know, not exceed this number of laps on the tires. Yeah. Interesting situation. I'm pretty sure they're looking at revisiting the curb design for have next year yeah. as well. Yeah. So that was an issue um, with the curbs. Uh, and they were like, okay, well, we need to keep these cars off the curbs for qualifying. So let's like narrow the track a little bit uh, in these specific areas. I think it was like turn five, six, and 13, I think were the turns that they kind mm -hmm. of narrowed uh but instead of like bringing in brand new curbs they painted lines on the track and painted lines like kind of like leading into the curbs now the drivers sit so low that they can't see that they literally can't see where the tracks like ends so that was what happened that's why you ended up getting uh the penalties after the sprint was they realized that like a bunch of cars had like gone over track limits uh, in like those last few laps. Um, so like that was like Leclerc's penalty where he exceeded track limits, mm -hmm. I think four times, technically three times on one lap. But like, I think like the last curb or the last turn to get onto the straightaway, he also exceeded track limits on the lap before. So he was dinged with like a five second penalty in that. Um, the drivers were all like, we can't see the edge of the track <laughs> where like they've narrowed the track. We literally can't see. You just have to hope that you're not going over track limits. Um, because when you, when your car slightly goes over the track limits, it hits the curb and you start to feel the vibrations and you're like, uh Oh, I can't go any wider. But if like, there are no vibrations to indicate that you're out in like the danger zone, you're never going to realize that you're over track limits. So that was mm -hmm. what was happening. That was why we were seeing all those laps de uh, deleted. And then also in the sprint race, why there were people who were dealing with track limits. And then also in the Grand Prix, where people were dealing with track limit um, penalties. So that's ultimately, you know, there were multiple factors in here, but that was like a big one. Um, so yeah. this leads us to the ballad of Sergio Perez. My God, my God. <sighs> uh, a pretty devastating weekend for him all around. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he managed to rack up like a record number of track limit uh, infractions. Yep. I think in, uh, was it during the sprint race that he had in the, the extra short race, you yep. still managed to get uh, three sets of five second penalties. Yeah. So which 15 that race yeah. was 19 laps, 
but only 12 were racing laps because of the safety cars. So this dude got mm-hmm. track limit penalties. Like, and you get like three strikes on your third strike is when they first start to issue them. So this dude went over track limits so much that like in such a incredibly short period of time, it's almost like I, it's like the, um, that like Will Ferrell quote of, uh, in, uh, I think it's Anchorman where he's like, I'm like, not even mad. I'm impressed. Like it really is that kind mm-hmm. of like, yeah. I don't know how you do that. I Kudos. There should be an award. <laughs> the award is penalties, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, there should be like uh, some sort of bragging rights that he gets. Yeah. Weird. Um, also, God, Sergio's weekend in the Japan Grand Prix was so embarrassing because he retired and then they brought him back out onto the track just so that he could avoid those penalties just so he could avoid Mm -hmm. grid spot penalties this weekend and then he got grid spot penalties and also penalties during the race like he ended up having to start from the pit lane right was that what it was um yeah like my god dude my god you had you came back out, you had the longest pit stop ever last last weekend because they were like, "Ooh, we want to make sure he doesn't get penalties," and then you get like the most penalties you could possibly get the following weekend, which just like negates the team's effort the previous weekend, and also like just I don't even like I don't even know how what what the descriptor is here, but it like amplified like your dysfunction at that team even more. Like Christian was laughing mm-hmm. about it. Like he literally did the whole like, oh, we got a Red Bull sandwich here. We got one starting from the pit lane and one starting from uh, pole. And it was like, ugh. I don't like the fact that, yeah. Yeah. He's like Christian's follow-up there. comments were were basically like, we're going to, we're just going to do a hard reset. We're going to just go back to basics with Sergio. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, I'd be curious to see what the terms of the 2014 or 2024 contract look like and how many different clauses there are that are like, if you crash this many times, if you accrue this many penalties, if you do Mm -hmm. this, if you're, you know, Yep. Uh, more than two positions away from your teammate, you know, like they're, they're going to at any point in time be, during the grand prix, you yeah. cannot be two positions yeah. or more. Yeah. Like, um, it also sucks. Cause on the sprint race, he crashed out during the sprint race because he got sandwiched by, I think it was Hockenberg yeah. and Ocon. So like he crashed out yeah. and he not entirely his, his fault. fault. Yeah. Not even, not even not entirely, like fully not his fault. Uh, which you, there's, race teams are so accommodating when they go like oh it was a racing incident oh well look it's just bad luck but when you have like the record of results that Sergio has had and then something like that happens it just becomes a like oh here's one more thing uh I feel like Mm -hmm. it's like in a relationship when like everything's going wrong and like one person is just clearly not pulling their weight and then like 
on their way to like couples counseling, uh, they get like a flat tire because they ran over a screw at a construction site. And it's like, yep. of course, you're not even going to show up to to relationship counseling because like you can't even show. Yeah. And it's like, I drove, I went by a construct, like I didn't, it's not, it truly isn't my fault. I left early. I built in time for traffic. And it's like, look, bud, you've just, it's like too little too late, I guess. Um, but even, yeah, it's not even too little too late for him at this point. Like there's no, I don't know how you come back from this. I, yeah, it's he's in a deep, Ugh. dark place. Now, you yeah. know who didn't get a track limit penalty during the sprint race? Who's that? Oscar Piastri. Yeah, the truth. Won the sprint race. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Um, yep. To me, just awesome to see him marking his territory also mm-hmm. beating his accomplished teammate He's, to a race win yeah yeah lando hasn't won yet i suspect we'll see some rising tensions between mm-hmm. the mclaren drivers mm-hmm. but yep. also like look at mclaren yeah what a turnaround mclaren have had Mm-hmm. After a pretty long period of being, you know, middle to back of the pack, they yeah. are right now, you know, like they're they're all the way in it. Yeah. Right up it, at the top. Maybe the most consistent mm-hmm. team other than Red Bull. Yep. Yep. Um, most consistent point scorers, they, other than Red Bull, uh, McLaren and the two McLaren drivers have scored more points per race than any other driver and any other driver pairing and any other team. So like Mm -hmm. Mika Hakkinen was so right on when he was like, yeah, we're going to see McLaren challenging for wins, uh, towards the end of the season. Like it is, that man is a soothsayer. Uh, he knew exactly what was going on. Oscar Piastri made the exact right move, not driving for Alpine, going to McLaren. Um, his cheeky tweet about uh, uh, about resigning too was like really yes, really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just the same like meme format that uh, he created when he sent out the Alpine like, "Hey, I'm not driving for Alpine." Tweet he like tweeted a similar tweet uh, to say that. It is with yep. my knowledge uh, that McLaren has announced. And it was like, oh, it's great. It's so great. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. I loved how confident he was in the car. How like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just and like holding Max at bay as Max came through during that sprint race. And like yeah. not within like. And Max who was desperate to yeah. win the race so he could stand on the top step of the podium wall being awarded the driver's championship, Mm -hmm. which he had, you know, managed to win on a Saturday, which is weird in and of itself. And yeah, you know, a record setter, a record setter in many ways. He is the first person to win a world driver's championship as a result of a sprint race outcome too. So not just, 
one yeah. of the first, uh, I think there are only like three or f- maybe three other drivers who have won on Saturdays because of the way that the Grand Prix were structured. Like uh, Nelson mm-hmm. PK won on Saturdays at the Vegas Grand Prix and then another one PK won because it was another Saturday Grand Prix. But it was like, I mean, those were actual Grand Prix. This was a sprint race. But yeah, Max so badly wanted to stay uh like champion and be on the top step uh and like gp was like hey just bring the car home dude like you've already won the championship we need you to just bring the car back to the garage in one piece don't do what we know you want to do right now which is just become like a missile uh and go to like Verstappen in his rookie year of being like I'm just going to send it down the inside of turn 1. I don't care if I make it as long as like the other guy doesn't. So yeah, it was uh it was great. It was great to see Piastri uh kind of like being like the uh he's like the like not like quite like the dam in the river, but he was like he was like a tree that fell over. Uh, in the river and diverted the water flow. So it just wasn't so Yep. like it was, I loved it because it like took away some of the shine from Verstappen's championship. Um, not just that he didn't win, but because it was Oscar Piastri winning his first race, it like really deserved a lot of attention and it got all that attention. Uh, almost to the point of where I was like, Max, like no one cares. This was a foregone conclusion. We, everyone knew you were going to win the championship. It would be so fun to just watch you go like, yeah, no, it's his night. It's his night. Um, mm-hmm. God. Ah, looking I'm, forward to seeing more, more of this down the line. Also yeah. looking forward to seeing what happens with, you know, M- McLaren being on the rise and mm-hmm. two very talented drivers one of which is looking like now a hot, sh- a super hot shot rookie. Yeah, uh, I think we're going to see some rising tensions. Yep. Yeah, we saw Even rising on- tensions elsewhere. Yeah, but, but before we we move into the 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 devastating uh, nature of that first Oof. lap of the Grand Prix oh. for for us as fans, um, at the very end of the Grand Prix. Lando Norris made his way back up through the field and was running third behind Oscar. And yeah. he came over the radio and was like, so are we going to invert the cars? Because I'm quicker. And they were like, Lando. Yep. Lando, come on, just head down. Nice try. Nice try, bud. And then like the next lap, uh, like Lando puts in a fast lap and then the next lap, Piastri like puts in a fast lap right before Lando then puts in another fast lap just to be like, Hey, we're not going to invert the cars. I'm doing fine up here. I'm just trying to like maintain behind Verstappen right now, but like I can go faster if I need to. Uh, I love that as a statement from Piastri and also Mm -hmm. just back and forth. Um, There was one moment at the, I love, I love that the drivers have kind of like realized what their, like kind of like catchphrases are or what they're like the things that we love about them. Um, like Esteban Ocon being like, yeah, Esti bestie. Sure. I'll take the nickname. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll run with it. I'll like say who I am. Uh, Charles, every time he shows up to an interview uh, or like shows up 
when like cameras are already running, uh, he'll go, hello, in this like very silly kind of like lighthearted way uh, that just mm-hmm. cracks me up every single time. And now Lando Norris, when he gets information that he wants to like talk smack about, instead he will just respond, interesting, interesting. And it's just, I love mm-hmm. that. Uh, and that happened like in a, I think like, a post-qualifying session or like a weekend warm-up session or something and it was like mentioned about something happened where it was like he wanted to talk smack and he just like reined it in and said interesting and i love that uh all right let's get to the sad part let's get to the sad devastating first lap so first lap of the race um we see a very excited pair of Mercedes mm-hmm. basically going full attack on Max, mm-hmm. which is wonderful to see. Yeah. Split uh, tire strategy. Like this, this felt like Mercedes of old being like, we're, we're, we're we know it's a strategy. Lewis has got the soft and sticky tires. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Russell is on the mediums mm-hmm. not as well set up as as lewis's uh what was what was max running do we know does it even matter uh, max was running mediums yeah max was it doesn't max matter, was running max mediums. Was running mediums yeah yeah max had a little bit of a rough stop start or kind of like mm-hmm. bogged a little bit so that allowed both mclarens to just swoop right up on him yeah and both George Mercedes. is making both Mercedes in the grand. Sorry, Pedro. sorry. Thank you, thank you. Because it did thank happen you. in the sprint where both Mc- he had he yes. also had a rough start it, in the. In, it did. Yeah. It did. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. So George is hounding Verstappen. Mm-hmm. Hamilton is just closing in fast and is also like very aware that like okay now they're both managing each other. Yep. Is a pretty gutsy move that he made but he decided i'm gonna just scream up the outside of the first yep. corner because i've got stickier tires i can go deeper into the corner break a little later yep he's <sighs> hooking it in uh basically the cars are three wide hamilton on the outside george in the middle and max mm-hmm. all the way on the inside Mm-hmm. and max and george hold their position for the most part george gets just a little bit loose and that might have been the few millimeters that counted but hamilton has left zero room for any error and he basically is coming in just a little too tight and he tags george they both lose their cars hamilton immediately loses one of his wheels i was actually very surprised to see the wheel come freely off the car that's not supposed to happen uh, supposed to uh, ensure that the wheels don't actually come loose from the car. It can be really dangerous. Yeah. But yeah, they basically yeah. both went off. Uh, I thought it was race over for both of them, but George was able to limp back onto the track. So good for good for him. And uh, yeah, basically, I think this like tension that's yeah. been building between uh, Lewis and George. I mean, do you think this? diffuses it do you think this is like now like okay they came together it's a total disaster uh you know lewis took 
full responsibility, you know, following the race after I had a chance to watch footage and everything. And I know he had like, you know, went directly to George and, you know, very, very clearly apologized to him and and everything. Um, Do you think this settles some of that tension or does this actually amp it up even further? I think it settles the tension. And the only reason I think it settles the tension is because George was able to continue on. If George had Mm -hmm. crashed out, if both of their races were done or both of their, or George was hit and his race was so affected that he wasn't able to come back and quite literally finish fourth, one step off the podium. If, if he finishes fifth or sixth or even further down, let alone out of the points, I think that this is like a huge problem, but Mm -hmm. that wasn't the case. So I think it diffuses the tension in my opinion, Um, or at least some of the tension because George didn't, doesn't have the whole, like I started on the front row and you took me completely out of the race. It was like, no, no, you started (laughs) in the front row by accident only because of track limit penalties uh, incurred by Lando and Piastri. So that's the only reason you started on the front row initially. So already there's like a, "Ah, you didn't really earn that front row. And then the fact that he finished on, you know, one step off the podium, I think made it not as bad. What, what do you think? Do you think it makes it better, worse, or, or what? I, I'm hoping that it's diffusing the, yeah. the tension. And I think a lot of it is, you know, just got to do with like, this is a, a come to Jesus moment. This is the thing that you just don't ever want to do is have two teammates yes. come together. Yes. It was pretty disastrous but could have been even more so yeah and uh yeah i think it'll it'll put things in perspective for both of them i hope i do still sense that like george has a bit of like a chip on his shoulder even during the sprint race with him like you know uh, actively congratulating himself over the radio on his pass which is fine i have nothing against I uh, like to me, if I'm, if I am out on track mm-hmm. driving a car, the most fun I have ever had, I will be like shouting to myself in the car yes. the yes. whole way around. Uh, you know, even like going, doing go karts at the mall, you know, like if you get into a rhythm where you're like cheering yourself on or mm-hmm. talking yourself through things or talking smack to people that can't even hear you or whatnot. Yeah. Like that's, that's fine and dandy for some reason though, when yeah. George Russell was doing it, it did sound a little bit to me. Like he was being like, come on guys, you were supposed to say that to me over the radio. Like, a little you, bit. You know, yeah. give me, give me, give me some credit here. Look at that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't love that. Um, I do. I do think, Back to the, con- the the collision. I think that we're a little bit freaked out because of what happened with Nico and Hamilton in Spain in 2016. I think that was like dangerous, and that we we saw what happened as a result of that. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think we're like still like kind of traumatized by that. So when we see two Mercedes coming together, we're like, Ugh. um. Even seeing like yeah. Botas and George coming together uh, when they weren't teammates, it like felt like, Ugh. Um, but yep. n- now that they are in this 
position. I think because the cars did not crash out. I think because they were not starting on the front row. I think because they're not competing for a world championship. I think because Lewis initiated the contact and then completely owned it. Right. Like, and not only owned it, but said like, this was not your fault. Like those are the words that he Mm -hmm. used was like, this wasn't your fault. I'm so sorry. Uh, So it was like total ownership of it. Not just that, like, Ah, yeah. yeah, we got to be smarter about this. Like there was, he owned all of it. Um, so I think that that makes a big difference in my opinion. This could be me being overly optimistic though, John. I fully, yeah. No, no, I think that's, that is, that's it. Like that's, you know, uh, hopefully it's, it's out of the system. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's move on with it fellas. And, uh, you know, get yeah. get the team in the in the place where it should be um yeah, seriously. all right let's uh touch on a real quick uh moment in history that was made yes. during this race weekend uh yep. i'm not talking about uh max verstappen winning the world drivers championship on a saturday nope nobody cares nobody cares truly Nobody cares. There was rumors, uh, there was buzz going around in the paddock that Mm -hmm. Red Bull had set their new personal best practice pit stop time. I did not hear this. This weekend. This was something that was... That was oh. going around. Um, Red Bull were the have been the holders of the fastest pit stop record, and I forget what the exact time was that yeah. they had held. But it was basically there 1. were murmurs. 9. I think it was one point nine eight or something like that. It was sub two seconds. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. it was it was basically being reported that in a practice pit stop. Mm-hmm. They had gotten, you know, into the sub two second zone and the team was really amped up and they were looking to achieve that during the race. Yeah. And I would like to think that that was motivation for the team over at McLaren mm-hmm. who, and I believe this was their last pit stop of the race. It was uh, either the, the, the third or the second or the third pit stop. It was one. Yeah. I think it it might have, I, yeah, it might have been I, the last one. Pretty yeah. sure it was the third pit stop for Lando Norris. Yeah. Car comes in and they get the car in and out of the pit in 1.8 seconds. 1.80 flat. It's crazy. That was crazy. I it's absolutely insane. And I mean like the when you have time, you know, take a moment and do a deep dive on what it is that these crews do to be able to change four wheels on a car this quickly. Mm-hmm. The car is coming in before, and this is, you know, the thing that you probably hear the most often before the car has come to a stop, the guys holding the wheel guns while the car is still moving they are getting the wheel gun onto the the nut on the wheel before yeah. the car is stopped. So they're like moving over. They're like getting it and moving the gun with the car 
as it comes into position. Yeah. You have someone that is getting a jack underneath the nose of the car to lift the car up immediately. Oh, both rear and front jackmen. So yes, they're rear and front jack are slid like under simultaneously. simultaneously. Ugh, so cool. Popping the car up into the air so that the wheels they can have, come off because they can't just, pull just the real, wheels off until the car is in the air. Just real quick, can we just like go back to the jack, uh, the jackmen? Uh, the yes, front jackman is like yes. the yeah, bravest yeah, yeah, yeah. human being on the face of the yes. earth. Like, he, so brave. Um, because the car is doing 60 miles an hour directly at you. Uh, if you can, I know it looks like the cars are going slow in the pit lane because they go so fast on the track, but like the pit lane speed limit is 60 miles an hour. Can you imagine having a car coming at you at 60 miles an hour and just being like, not only is it going to stop, but I'm going to like engage it. Like I'm going to put my arms down and like lock my elbows and like lift this car up as it's coming to a stop like that all by itself you are you are standing in the nose of a parking spot and the car pulling into the parking spot while entering the parking spot the car is still going 60 at that point yes and in that in the parking spot distance is going to go from 60 to zero and you're going to stand there and trust that that is going to happen Mm -hmm. flawlessly yep and there's footage of it not happening flawlessly and you see what it looks like when the inertia uh, Mm -hmm. and the mass of an f1 vehicle hits that front jack as the front jack man is trying to put it down and the car hasn't come to a stop like People get their legs broken. People get like dislocations. Like it is horrifying. Shatter your wrist. Yeah. Yeah. It's Um, yeah. And then also the rear Jackman probably doesn't get as much credit because he's not as uh, in, in as much danger. But as far as precision, the way that the rear jacks are constructed, they have like a hinge in them so that they can like run out behind the car. And as they're like turning the jack, the hinge is activating and like getting under the car. And then before the jack is even straight, they're like starting to lift the car up. And then the hinge goes back to like straight and like allows the car to go up all the way. So it's like just the design and engineering with it. Like the jack itself is so impressive, let alone the people who are operating them, let alone that they have to do this at the same time. Like the car cannot be lifted from the front while the back is not being lifted and same as like the back and the front. So it's like, and it's all happening as the wheels are coming off the car. Like the wheels aren't all the way off the car before the Jack is completely like set. Oh, it's just so cool. So cool. The, the Jack pops the car up. The four wheels are removed Mm-hmm. And just as quickly, four new wheels are put on, but are so close to one en- one another that they could easily like bump into each other. Because the whole goal is like you need to spend like the smallest amount of time mm-hmm. with the car having no wheels on it. So you're pulling the wheels off in one direction 
while the new wheels are going on from the other side, like in perfect synchronization. Yep. You then have to get the wheel gun back on a second time. Mm hmm. Turn the, the the wheel nuts all the way up, screw them all the way tight, confirm that it's all the way tight, pull the wheel gun off. You have people monitoring all four corners of the car to make sure that this has been done successfully. And there's someone whose sole job is to give the go signal that we are good, but they yeah. cannot give it until it is confirmed that the wheel has been removed, the wheel has been replaced and tightened perfectly yep. four times on four corners of the car in perfect sync. And yes. you have to know that that is done. If you, if, you do, if you miss that call and you send the car out of the pit and one of the mm-hmm. wheels isn't tightened, you get serious, serious penalties. Oh, yeah. Like tens of thousands of dollars worth of fines uh, if that happens. Yeah, it's... Oof. The... The car is dropped off the jack, and the jack is pulled out of the way while the car is beginning to accelerate away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so all of that, everything that happened from getting the guns on the car before it has come to a stop to getting the jack up, lifting the car, pulling wheels off without bumping into the new wheels that are going on, tightening those wheels, confirming that it's all been done correctly – was done so in crazy. one one thousand two one thousand. Yeah, and that was it. That's it. That was that, it. That was car was already gone. Car was already was there and gone. Um, it really is the mind boggles. It really does. I mean, I I hope that I know that there's like slow mo footage of that pit stop, and I hope that they like like oh god, I just. I know this is something that no one else really wants, but I would love to see like a documentary uh, about like pit stops uh, and about the way that they execute pit stop. It doesn't have to be like a full feature length, but like a little 10 to 15 minute long docu like documentary about like the history of pit stops and how they've evolved and like the technologies they used to use versus what they're doing now to the point of where they're like, We've installed LED lights on the guns themselves that like light up a fraction of a second before the job of the tool is completed, just so that like it allows mm-hmm. for like the synapses in a human brain to go like, oh, pull my hand back. And by the time that happens, the job is done. Like it's so finely tuned at this point. That it truly is mind-boggling. And I love it. I love it so much. Um, I love that it was Lando who got this fastest pit stop. Um, as soon as uh, as soon as Lewis crashed out, I swapped over radio channels uh, and uh, pulled up Piastri's on board and like swapped back and forth between him and George a little bit, but for the most part was on Piastri. Mm-hmm. And because he's a rookie, he's like not as like confident during these pit stops but is also like completely competent and confident but even when he's doing these pit stops his race engineer will like coach him through the procedure where he's like pulling into the pit lane and then the engineer is like all right 
we need you to go to this mode, set the engine mode to this. And then like once they've like pulled into the pit stop, his engineer is just like launch mode five, launch mode five, launch mode five, launch mode five. And like you see Oscar like fuddling with the uh, the steering wheel and putting it in launch mode. And the reason he's saying launch mode five pretty much as he's pulling into the pit box is because what we were just talking about. Like as soon as those tires go back on, he is basically gunning it and the engine needs to be mapped basically at like a start mode uh, that is only mm-hmm. good for pit stops. Um, it's just so it's such a complicated process that happens so fast. And it's like 20 people in perfect sync, uh, along with a driver, again, a driver who after the grand prix was like, this was the hardest race I've ever had in my career. Yeah. Granted he's a rookie. He's only raced 17 races in F1, but he's raced all the junior series. He's raced all over the place. This man yep. has experience. So for him to be like, yeah, this is the hardest race I've ever done was like, yeah, yeah, that, that checks out. That absolutely checks out. The other, the other rookie was literally like going to the nurse's office and being like, could you call my mom? Could you call my mom? I got my, yeah. my tummy hurts. Yep. I, I got, I got, I got to go home. It's like, that's the other rookie on the grid right now versus the guy who is like, yeah, I came in second and like, whew, that was tough. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, his radio communication was literally, wowee. That was mm-hmm. when they told him he got P2. He comes back on and he's like, oh, wowee. Yeah, probably the hardest race I've ever done. Like that that was the first thing that he said back to the team when when he got second place. So cool. I did love that uh, after the sprint, when Oscar was uh, being interviewed, they came up to him and they were like, oh, and you should know, you know, uh, or, or sorry, this wasn't after the sprint. This is after the, the race. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, oh, you, you, we, you know, we should tell you, uh, you just got driver of the day. And he literally was like, oh, oh, crap. I, I was certain that you were going to tell me that I got a track limit penalty yes. Uh, yes. just now. Uh, Thank goodness. Uh, yeah. I thought that yeah. was, uh, that was Be- wonderful. Because that's what happened at the interview after the sprint shootout was uh, the interviewer. Uh, she's like talking to Oscar. And as Oscar's like, yeah, it was just like really tough. She goes, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just being told you got a track limits penalty and you are being dropped mm-hmm. back down the grid uh and like we watch him going from like oh yeah great i'm starting like second row uh or i'm starting yeah he's, he was in third place so he's like i'm starting second row like in the sprint to uh what i'm starting sixth i'm on the th- huh okay uh right uh yeah that was very cheeky very fun um mm-hmm. but also Oh boy. Um, you love to see it. You do. I have to say we haven't talked about them at all this week because they more or less flew under the radar. Uh Ferrari did not do a great job this weekend. Nope. They had a bit of a rough weekend. Um Carlos Sainz did not even start. He had a DNS. 
This is a rarity that you have did not mm-hmm. start. Uh, and when they have DNSs, it's usually because on the formation lap or on like the reconnaissance laps, uh, the car has like a failure on it. But yep. It, yeah, it was a what fuel was, leak. So what was the issue? They had it was it was a fuel it was, leak. It was a fuel line leak. Yep, they couldn't figure out. And it they, was just too it was too close to the start of race time. Yep. Um, yeah, because basically there's like um, I want to say I don't even know how I think it's like ten minutes or something like that. Um, that they have during like the reconnaissance laps and then the pit lane closes uh, and then everyone has to go to the grid. So like you'll see cars come out, especially if you go to a Grand Prix, uh, cars will come out and kind of do these reconnaissance laps, mm-hmm. uh, especially because they changed the track layout. Like they gave extra, they gave like an extra like 10 minute practice session earlier in the week too, uh, earlier in the weekend, um, just to help the drivers sort of familiarize themselves with this. Um, but that's what happens. They come out, they circle the track, and then they figure out, oh, okay, this is what's happening with the car. Like maybe like the balance is a little off, and we need to change the brake balance uh, settings, or we need to like put in a little like front wing adjustment or something like that. But the cars are basically in what they call park for May, which is like when you the the cars cannot be touched, cannot be altered, other than new tires and like slight wing adjustments, and. He didn't even mm-hmm. go out on reconnaissance laps. They didn't even put the tires on the car. They left the car up on jack stands in the garage. Uh, and they were just like, yeah, there's no way we can fix this in the amount of time, even before the race starts. Like, we're going to have to disassemble the engine to find the fuel leak. Uh, apparently, it was like a little bit further up towards the actual engine. Um, so it wasn't like near the fuel bladder. It was like, they would have had to do too much work. So Carlos Sainz doesn't start the race, um, sits in the pit, uh, sits in the pit garage pretty much the whole time. There are a couple of cuts uh, Mm -hmm. to him of just wearing headphones. Uh, Charles had some pretty good moves in the race, but was a little bit unremarkable. Um, again, there were like all those uh, track limit violations that he had in the sprint race. Uh, also, Charles was like maybe losing consciousness a little bit during some of these yeah. laps. So, like, yeah, a bit unremarkable. Oh. Um, really thankful we didn't have any like major incidents, John. Um, mm-hmm. Especially after like was it was it three safety cars that happened in the sprint race. Or was it just three two? safety cars? Three safety no, it was cars. Three three safety car <laughs> sessions in Jesus. like you know, uh, like a matter of like you know fifteen laps or something like that. That's um, nuts. That is nuts. Yeah. Um, this is also a great argument for, uh, or maybe not a great argument, but like maybe a little hint at what Karun uh, Chandok has been proposing, which is like. Uh, required like you you have mandatory you have to use all three tire compounds in the race so with like the mandatory three stop um race that happened because each tire can only do 18 laps we kind of got a view of like what that would look like if there were mandatory uh tire usage 
Um, also, that is what played into everyone suffering so much. Uh, so yeah, the fact the the one of the things that like we secretly hate about F one modern F one is the fact that they do so much tire management. They do so much management when they're out on track because they have to make these tires last like for as long as possible so that they can work out a strategy for how they're going to maybe overtake people due to pit stops or undercuts, overcuts, whatever. The fact that they had mandatory tire swaps at maximum of 18 laps meant that every single lap that was turned on those tires was at full pace. So every single lap that every driver was doing during the whole Grand Prix for 57 laps were qualifying laps. And that is exhausting in like perfect weather. So the idea that they had to do this in like some of the most brutal conditions, some of the most unforgiving conditions uh, is like, oh yeah, okay, I can see why people were getting sick and People were literally throwing up in their helmets and losing consciousness and asking to retire the cars, uh, asking to get buckets of water dumped on them. Um, All these things are because they were like truly pushing themselves to the absolute limit for every single lap. Uh, And there was only one safety car at the beginning of the Grand Prix. So like that's the other thing too is like if there were safety car like laps – then these drivers would literally get to be like, okay, I can like take a couple of breaths, maybe put my visor up and let air like come into my helmet yeah. um, because I don't need the perfect aerodynamic uh, uh, settings for my car to function at its peak. But like, yep, that, that's what happened. That's that's the the reality of it. Um, yeah. And so, all right. Anything else happen in this race, John? We covered a lot. There's been a lot going on, and I'm sure we missed. A there was a lot. I mean, I w- I will say the right the race the sprint race to me was thrilling. Yes, the main event race, uh, not so much. Uh, yeah, pretty. You know, uh, aside from you know the the fascination over the extreme circumstances in which it was unfolding, uh, there wasn't really that much action to to yeah. keep me on the edge of my seat and even probably had me like nodding off but for a this, moment in my, uh, in my midday. So I took a picture of, yeah. uh, the data sheet and that is what the tire, uh, the pit stops looked like, which is like, uh, it's wild, uh, to see every, well, it's very consistent, you know, between every single team, you know, yeah. normally there's a lot of different strategies, that are brought in and that mm-hmm. mixes everything up quite a bit. And this was much more regimented and, you know, mm-hmm. as, as you would expect given uh, this, this limit that, that were put on the tires. But yeah, I think that that definitely kept the excitement a little more restrained uh, yeah. just because you didn't have that many variations in entire strategy. And there were the only people to put soft tires on uh, the car were uh, George Russell at the very end um, of the race. And then you like, I was like, oh, George is going to start putting like some pretty serious lap times. And like, 
he was like a second slower than all the other runners. And uh, apparently that was because he was like, oh, I'm not going to catch McLaren. And I have enough of a buffer in like down to fifth place that like I don't need to push that hard again because like everyone, every single driver was very close to passing out in their car, if not passing out. And I think George was one of the people who was like, yeah, I just kind of like brought the car home because I knew I wasn't going to catch them. And I also knew that if I pushed too hard, I might pass out. Uh, And Joe Guan Yu is the other one who put on soft tires. And that's one of the reasons he was able to overtake uh, Stroll in addition to Stroll quite literally being like uh, mid-nap uh, for like the yep. second half of that lap. Um, oh, oh, one last thing that I, I pulled from this data. Um, Sergio Perez, can you guess how far behind he finished? Can you guess? Oh. I mean, place-wise, not great. Um, place-wise, uh, not great because he ended up in he was lapped he was yeah he was lapped by max right yeah he was that's that's extremely no bueno uh yep. how what was the what was the delta one minute and 13 seconds is how Oof. far behind his teammate he finished oh. so folks that's brutal i'm telling you i don't think perez is going to be back next season I really think that like if he doesn't show up in the next five races, if he doesn't challenge Verstappen for a win in the next five races, I don't like I think Danny Ricardo is going to get slotted into that with, with minimal effort. Um we've got the implication is there. The implication did not have yep. a good weekend. He did not have uh, a, a good AKA a good, Liam Lawson yeah, the implication. Yeah. yeah. Uh so, he he had a tough a, yeah a not a, not a great weekend. not a great weekend for him but easily yeah. forgiven with his yeah. uh, recent tremendous results that he's mm-hmm. achieved and and whatnot yeah uh, it's gonna be rough so uh, we've got coming up for so Sergio and and everyone else on the grid yeah um, in in a week and a half they'll touch down in Austin mm-hmm. and then it goes Austin. Mexico, Brazil, one yeah. weekend after another. And I think that's going to basically determine uh it's gonna determine Sergio's future. Mm-hmm. It might determine Logan Sargent's future. Yep. But I think the next those next three rapid fire races, they're gonna they're gonna come and go really quickly. Mm-hmm. We're going to enjoy them at normal human, yeah. you know, uh you know, uh, our side of the planet hours, which will yep. be lovely. Yep. Yeah. Jeez. And, uh, and then, yeah. And then it's into the sort of final stretch of the season. Yeah. So. And we've got Vegas and then we've got yep. Abu Dhabi. So we have mm-hmm. four races, um, in this hemisphere. Uh, I was about to say yep. this continent, but it'll be one in South America, but three on the continent of North America. Also, it's tricky because 
Sergio Perez has a huge fan base in Texas, a huge fan base, obviously, in Mexico, and also a pretty huge fan base in Brazil. Uh, Again, being like Mm -hmm. a Mexican driver, being like uh, being not a a U.S. driver uh, and being from this hemisphere, people are like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with him. Um, even Lance Stroll gets some like love when he's down in uh in in Mexico, um, but like ideally he will get a big like spike from that. Like he'll feel good because he's got people really cheering for him. He'll see tons of flags in in the stands. Um, I was gonna say kind of similarly for Logan Sargent. We've got Austin. We've got Mexico, and we've got Vegas. So those are three races where ideally he will be getting a ton of like fans and adulation and he'll be featured, but those two drivers are under the microscope and it's not a good under the microscope right now. Uh, So it could, it could be really good. It is not. It's, it's going to be tense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It could be good, but it could also be really bad, which exactly, John, it creates like, Oh, these last few races are going to be way more tense than they ever needed to be for those th- those two drivers specifically. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, it's going to be tricky anyways because we've got record heat, um, we've got record rainfalls, so we're going to see another tricky race. That Vegas race will be at night in the desert, but folks, having been to Vegas, having been there at night is still real, real hot. Uh, so if Vegas gets a little heat wave action, we're going to see pretty much what we just saw this weekend uh, with the, the, <laughs> the race at LaSalle. Like it's going to, mm-hmm. it's going to be brutal. Uh, same with Austin, Mexico city, not as bad. Cause it's at a higher elevation. Um, so like it doesn't get as brutally hot, but it's still going to be real hot in Mexico in <laughs> in October. Uh, and Brazil is Brazil. So it's always going to be hot yep. there. There's literally the rainforest exists in Brazil. So, uh, you know, um, and then Abu Dhabi. So like, it's going to be a bunch of hot races for the rest of the year. <sighs> I'm excited, but also a little bit nervous and terrified and saddened for Logan Sargent and Sergio Perez. Yeah. I feel, I feel well. bad for them. Yeah, yeah. It'll be it'll, it'll be it'll be something to look out for. It'll I think it'll be yeah. one of the interesting narrative uh storylines as yeah. the season uh ties up. Um one last thing just to touch on mm-hmm. incremental steps forward with uh Andretti F1. That's right. Um, They've been approved. Last time la- last time we spoke, they they'd been approved by the FIA, which means that they're now going to head into trying to convince, you know, Formula One, which is mm-hmm. effectively an alliance of all the teams to let them yeah. in, which is going to be, uh, it would seem almost impossible. Um, yeah. The FIA or or the FIA's uh, Mohammed bin Soliam has been making some statements about like, you know, it's going to look real bad if the teams block them. Mm-hmm. And there's even been little bits of murmurs about like, well, what if they just went in with the FIA's approval and not approval from the rest of the teams, which I believe 
has everything to do with like rights and commercial rights and, and whatnot. And that like in theory, technically they could show up, but like it would be forbidden from like displaying their car on TV and they wouldn't be allowed to run sponsors on it and stuff like that. So I don't think we'll get to that level of nonsense, but I think, I think there's still going to be quite a bit of battling to come. And I have noticed just a little bit of warmer yes. comments coming from the teams, particularly from the drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, Lewis Hamilton made some statements saying that, you know, he thinks they should be allowed in yeah. and, and whatnot. Um, and it's, you know, just becoming more and more apparent that the teams are solely just obsessed with like, well, that means the prize money gets divvied up a little more. And, yeah. you know, I, I think there's, I think there's a scenario where they could be compelled by like, well, the idea is that in the long run, they draw in an even larger fan base, particularly in the most underserved market, the United States and yeah. get, you know, this is get a little more money coming into the sport. It's essentially yeah. the marshmallow test for F1, um, where it's just like, yeah. Oof, if you don't eat this marshmallow right now, you get a whole warehouse full of marshmallows. Like it's not even the same as like, oh, you get more marshmallows later. It's like you'll get so many marshmallows that you won't know what to do with yourself. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would like to see F1 continue to soften their stance. Uh, even hearing Christian Horner being like, hey, we're bringing in Ford. Uh, you know, if, if Cadillac rolls in and they do more than just slap a sticker on the car, we could have like a real competition between American manufacturers. So it could be like a GM versus Ford thing eventually. So, you know, um, yep. So I, I, uh, I, and there's a minor development there as well. Last week, uh, mm-hmm. you were, you were talking about the, the possibility of, uh, you know, Cadillac or GM developing an engine. And yep. I think I had, uh, I think I had shushed you and said like, no, 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 it's just going to be a sticker deal. <laughs> um, there were reports this week about some key powertrain mm-hmm. engineers, uh, potentially getting absorbed by GM well, for the purpose st- of beginning long-term powertrain development. Yeah, and they also uh, straight up said that like they're because uh, Cadillac is pretty big within the WEC, the World Endurance Championship Series. Uh, mm-hmm. They have, I think, three teams in WEC right now, or at least two teams. But Cadillac was like, we're going down to one team next year so we can focus – uh, yeah. refocus our finances towards developing our F1 program. So the fact that like behind the scenes, the business itself has been like, Hey, we're starting to allocate funds for F1 is like a really good sign because that's not, yep. and that's not an F1 car changing direction in a corner doing 90 miles an hour. That is uh, an ocean liner, being like, oh, okay, well, we need to start to change direction now because we will need to make a turn in about three miles. So it's like, okay, great. Mm-hmm. That's I'm I'm super happy with that. Um, that was, you know, our concern was that it was just gonna be like Renault engines with like a Cadillac sticker over it. Um, which is like fine, but we'd prefer to not 
it'd be better to have more engine suppliers because then you could see like a little more competition like we're seeing with McLaren and Mercedes. Like that's impressive. As much as I don't love it as a Mercedes fan, I'm still like, oh, it's actually pretty cool that McLaren is a customer team and they're showing the people they bought their product from like how to really use their product. Like, and that only elevates every team. So I- I'm on board with it. Uh, as wishy-washy as I kind of am about the idea of like the American marketing muscle that will show up when Andretti shows up to F1. Like, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. This is just going to be a little too aggressive and a little tacky, probably considering I grew up in this country. John, you grew up in this country. You know what, yep. you know what it looks like when, yeah. So you know what we're capable of over here. Yeah. Yeah. So we should pre apologize to the world, uh, for what is on its way. <laughs> Um, in terms of advertising and marketing, if we do get Andretti in F1. All right, Johnny. Anything else? That's uh, that's all I got from yeah. from Qatar. Yeah, it's a long one. We 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 was a long episode. It was a long weekend. There was a lot involved in there. So that's uh, that's that's good. It's good to have a lot to talk about, even though the Grand Prix itself wasn't like super exciting. Mm-hmm. Could it could have been could have been a little more entertaining, um, but it was mm-hmm. jam packed. So that's that kind of like I'll take I'll take a a very busy weekend if we're not going to get the most entertaining Grand Prix. At least a lot can happen over the course of the weekend. Uh, yep. Yeah, so that feels. Feels pretty good. Feels pretty good. Um, as as a fan, I'm I'm liking it. Do you think the stock went up, John? Did it go up this week? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say stock stayed level. Okay, stayed static okay. this week. And I think uh, you know it's it's also it's like sort of like a little bit of a vacuum leading up to Circuit of the Americas. Which yes, I expect will will be a, a fun little shot in the arm. Yeah, and and also begin the nonstop sort of rampage towards Vegas. Yeah, because that is going to be a little nutty. That's going to be a little nutty. Mm-hmm. Um, F one, yeah, is going to go completely nuts with that, and I'm excited for it. But also, oh, oh boy, oh yep. boy, is it going to be? Yep, 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 a little gross. Um. Yeah, I think I think you're right though. I think it's like a pretty good plateau here. We it hasn't gone down. Uh, I think the the people almost throwing up in their helmets is probably good. Uh, is probably good for for the whole. It's an ex- <laughs> it's an extreme condition. You know? Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, I think in this day and age, that's yeah, that's generally a positive thing for you know. I guess yeah. attention and energy and all of that. Yeah, that's true. Very true. My um, God. Yeah, there. I feel like there's like one thing that I wanted to say that I just can't find in my notes, but I feel like, uh, oh, that's what it was. Uh, Will Buxton um, said something amazing 
uh, and I, I we haven't done this in a while, but I'm bringing back the old British saying of the week. Uh, and Will Buckton mm. had like mm. a perfect one. Um, and it was uh, like Christian Horner. He asked Christian Horner about like, you know, what, what what's the concern here? Are you like looking out for like next year? Or are you like a little concerned? Uh, and Christian Horner was like, no, we're just kind of focused on this year and getting the job done. And Will Buxton goes, that reminds me of a quote that my dear old mom used to say. And it is, look out for the pennies and the pounds will look out for themselves. Uh, and or the pounds mm. will look after themselves. Uh, so yeah, yeah, the idea is just like, hey, you know, you just ch- chip away one foot in front of the other, and by the end of the journey, you've got so many things to celebrate. Uh, so I thought that that was lovely, um, even though it was in reference of like Red Bull's dominance. I still loved Will Buxton, just yeah. drop little perfect, perfect little thing. Uh, all right, Johnny, where can the folks find you out there in the world? Where can they track you down? Oh, you can track me down via my home base of johnnymotion.com. Corey, where can the folks find you? Oh, they can find me online. I'm coreypwillis.com. That's the old website. And then you can also find me, uh, burn Corey burn. I am on all the social media and then there's the F1 files as well. Uh, got a couple of shows happening this week at the UCB theater. Um, so the first one is on Tuesday, uh, at 10 PM, a little bit late, but, uh, it's a show that, uh, I, I've kind of, uh, it's very near and dear to me. Um, my friend Monica Smith, uh, uh, suffers from an unseen disability. She has celiac, uh, and, uh, I myself, uh, suffered through a bout of long COVID and still every once in a while have some moments from that. Uh, so the idea here is we're doing a show about unseen disabilities. Uh, so there'll be people who have, uh, disabilities that they deal with every single day of their lives, but they kind of like, keep it to themselves because you know it's one of those things that exist in our society where we're like you know if you're like sick or disabled then like you're not a contributing member of society so many of us are like hey we're just gonna like try and blend in um so that's the show that we're doing. We've got some great storytellers that are going to be there. Uh, we've got Becky Feldman, uh, Kevin McGeehan, and then also Eliza Skinner is going to be there. Uh, so uh, it's going to be really, really fun. Nice. And we've got a great cast. Um, uh, and then the show on Wednesday is a show called Are They Gay? Uh, and this is going to be all about historical figures. Uh, and we are basically going to evaluate the queerness of them. Um, uh, and Wow. Uh, I am a, a very special guest uh, of this. Uh, I am going to not be portraying a character. I'm going to be portraying myself as... Corey Willis, an improv teacher, and they are going to evaluate whether or not I am gay. Uh, so that's going to be really fun. Um, it's on. That, sound, that sounds like they're going to be they're going to be on that case all night long. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be uh, every everyone there will get their money's worth for yeah. some some yeah. drawn out entertainment. Yeah. I'm very excited. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be 10 o'clock at UCB. Um, so I've got two shows Tuesday and Wednesday, both at 10 o'clock at UCB Franklin. Um, the ticket links all like drop into the description here. So if y'all want to come to it, 
or come to either of them, feel free. Uh, otherwise, folks, we are going to catch up with you just like you are going to catch up with us on the F1 Files.